to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Code. Hey, welcome to 2024, everyone. Pretty exciting. I don't know about you, 2024 seems pretty futuristic, right? And here we are today. I'm so excited. Thank you for being out with us. Hopefully you enjoyed your mochi donuts back there. Look, I believe firmly that 2024 is going to be our best year ever. Fully believe that. And here's the thing. I don't believe that simply because it's a nice idea or I'm attempting to motivate you or I'm going to cheerlead you into a new year. See, because when I say 2024 is going to be our best year ever, what I'm not saying is let's wait and see if 2024 is going to be our best year ever. Because that's oftentimes how we relate to the future, how we relate to what's in front of us, especially when we're starting from a brand new space. Oftentimes we have this attitude or mindset that says, let's wait and see what's coming. Let's wait and see so that at the end we can look back and go, did it happen or not? And I find that we do this in all kinds of areas of our lives. We certainly look out at the year and go, well, we'll see what this year holds. But we do this with our finances, and we say, well, we'll just wait and see how things turn out by the end of 2024. We do this with our marriages and our friendships. We do this with our kids. We do this with our own well-being, our health at times. We seem so fatalistic in waiting to see what's going to happen. And when I say 2024 is going to be our best year yet, I mean it's because we are going to take hold of what we are up to in 2024 and fully create and step into that. Rather than waiting for something to take hold of us, we are those who take hold of the future. Now here's the thing. We cannot control what's coming our way. So I have no idea the circumstances or the situations that you are going to engage in 2024. But here's what I can tell you is that no matter what comes your way, no matter what is thrown at you, no matter what you experience in the next 364 days, that whatever it is, you have absolute control over how you're going to relate to it. And you have absolute control as to how you are going to use that to further your life and the life of our community or if you're going to allow it to take you out and to diminish what you see as possible. And my invitation as we step into this very first gathering of 2024 is that we would see ourselves as the creators of the future. That we are not simply waiting to see what happens, but we are those who powerfully and passionately say, I choose to step into what's next with intention. You know, I, I get the privilege of talking to all types of people from all different backgrounds all over the United States. And one core thing that I have found to be true about every single human being on the planet is that every person wants to do something meaningful with their lives. In fact, I found that there is this core truth that lives inside of every single one of us, this core search, this core longing that every single one of us has this desire to live a life of meaning, 
That at the end of our days, we could say, man, I gave myself to something meaningful. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean huge or big or famous or making a ton of money, because that's different from meaningful. Meaningful looks like, man, I made the mark that I was made to make on the world. That every single person I came in contact with, every circumstance that came my way, every situation that God brought me into, I gave myself fully. And at the end of my life, I can say I gave it all. And I can look back and say, man, that was so meaningful. Here's what I love about Humanity Church, is that we have a high percentage of people who are keenly aware of that reality. In fact, most people are not here because they're looking for a church that spends a lot of money on a lot of programs and has a lot, like a giant playground for our kids somewhere. Or th- People are here because they're like, let's do something. Let's make the mark that we were made to make on the world. Let's go out and shape the future. Let's go out and give ourselves to something that's bigger than just me, than bigger than what I can see and what's here and now. Let's go give ourselves to something that is going to ripple out into humanity Now, here's the thing. You may have that longing inside of you, but I find that most people struggle with how do I make that happen? What does that look like? What could that be? Now, here's the thing. The great thing about living in 2024 is that if you don't know how to make that happen, you know where to go to find out how to make that happen, right? (laughs) You can pull up YouTube and find some TED Talks. You can get on Audible and download a book. You can read. You can get all kinds of resources. In fact, your phone in your pocket has every single resource you need to tell you how to do that. (laughs) You have every single Bible study on the planet in Audible form and written form in your pocket right now. So you have no excuse when you ask the question, how do I do that? You have all the resources necessary. See, here's what I found is our struggle in 2024. It is not answering the question, how? It is answering the question, am I willing to pay the price to have that happen? Am I willing to count the cost? And am I willing to actually live the life and pay the price necessary to create that type of life in front of me? See, there are people who don't know how, but I think for most of us, there are just areas in our lives where we're unwilling to do the hard spiritual work required to presence that life that we know we were meant to live. I want to take us to a moment in the scriptures where the Israelites who had been freed from captivity and had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and like an entire generation had died off and there's this whole new generation and they're, they're about to step into the promised land. We're now in Joshua. We're out of Exodus and we're in Joshua. Good news is here. People are excited and they're about to take the land. And right before they're gonna take the land, this is what happens with them as a people in Joshua chapter three, starting in verse one, it says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you seek the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and go follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. 
Now, this must have been an unnerving moment for the people of Israel. Here they are, about to take the land, and there's this ark that represented, that carried the Spirit of God with them. And everywhere this ark went, they were victorious. If the ark was with them, they won the war. It wasn't even a question. If they needed to take the land, if the ark was with them, they took the land. In fact, it was so powerful that if you even touched it, you would die. That's how powerful this presence of God was in this ark. And here they are, and they say, look, when you see the priests carrying this ark into the land ahead of you, when you see that, start moving. And I imagine people started asking questions, wouldn't you? Like if God said, hey, when you see this, start moving. Now you need to move along with it. And I imagine start people, where are we going? I don't know. Well, how are we going to get there? I don't know. We've never been that way before. Well, how long is it going to take to get there? I don't know. Who's going with us? I don't know. The only thing they knew was that they were to move when the ark moved, and they were going to go to a place that they had never been before. They were going to take a way that they had never, ever traveled before. And this is what God does. He invites you and I, just like the Israelites, into a future that is not based on a road map. It's not based on where you have been before. It's not even based on where you have been. God doesn't look at your past and say, based on where you have been, this is what's possible. He just says, we are going into a new place, and this new place, this new direction, this new way is based on faith and obedience. That if you're willing to step out in faith and you're willing to obey, then you will step into this new place that God has been calling you into, a place where you have never been before, an unprecedented tomorrow that is filled with unlimited opportunities that God is about to move you into. Now, most of us love the possibilities of that, right? What's the new thing? How many of you like new things? Yeah? We just got through Christmas. You got some new things, right? It's exciting. We love new things. We love the possibility that lives within the new things. But most of us are less comfortable with the ambiguity of never having gone that way before. We want the new without the how do I not go that way before. See, because you and I, here's what I know about us, is that we are addicted to certainty. We love a roadmap, don't we? I mean, if I was to lay out for you, hey, here's the schedule for 2024. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the hard times. Here's the good times. Here's what you need to do financially. You would love that, wouldn't you? You would pay me some money to have that. Because <laughs> we would love the certainty that comes with predicting the future. But the beautiful thing is that when God says, look, you are going to follow this ark. You don't know where you're going. It's going to be a way that you've never, ever gone before into a place that you have never heard of before. You don't know what's ahead of you. It, it causes us to have complete reliance on the Spirit of God. It requires every single part of us to rely completely and wholeheartedly and 100% on what he is up to and where he is leading us and the voice that he is calling us into. It has nothing to do with what we've known or where we've been. It is new, unprecedented, and that is where God does amazing thing because new and unknown are essentially the same. And that is what God calls us into over and over and over and over again. Now, here's the thing along with this. Everyone wants God to do amazing things tomorrow. Isn't that an awesome way that that verse ends? Like, like when he says, consecrate yourselves tomorrow, for, or for tomorrow 
the Lord will do amazing things among you. That's one of those verses that you should get tattooed, right? That's one of those verses that you should put on Instagram right now, right? I mean, that's one of those verses, right? That, that it's like, man, yes, God's going to do amazing things among us tomorrow. We love that God is going to do amazing things among us tomorrow. But here's the thing. The person that actually gets to experience the amazing things that God has done for us tomorrow is the person that consecrates themselves today. See, it is actually the person who says, I am going to set myself aside for the work and the move of God. I am going to take myself and I am going to remove everything that would hinder God from moving. I am going to take away all of the decisions and the mindsets and the attitudes and the behaviors that are going to keep me from stepping into the future to set ourselves apart today for the work of God tomorrow. How many of you in this room would love to win the lottery? Yeah? Like, let's just say you won the jackpot tomorrow, right? I don't know, however many millions it is. Most of us would be like, sign me up for that, you know? Now, here's the thing. Statistically speaking, if you won the jackpot tomorrow, seven out of ten of you would be bankrupt within three years. You'd be bankrupt within three years. Not half. Not even three out of ten. Seven out of 10, 70% of you would be bankrupt. Not even back where you started, you would lose everything. Because here's what happens, is that when people win the lottery, amazing things happened to them, but they didn't consecrate themselves to handle the amazing thing that had happened to them. They didn't consecrate their mindset with their finances. They didn't consecrate the mindset with their spending habits. They didn't consecrate their mindset with how they related to money. And so amazing things happened without consecration. And when amazing things happen without consecration, the amazing things actually become a curse. That if you are unable to hold the amazing things that God wants to do in your life, they will show up more like a curse than they will a blessing. I love getting to work with engaged couples. Marla and I get to do premarital counseling quite a bit. It's so fun. And every engaged couple is concerned with the wedding. What DJ are we getting? What's the cake going to taste like? How many people can we pay for? What are we going to give for party favors? And they're stressed out of their mind about the party. And no matter how much I say this, it goes in one ear and out the other. And I say, look, the party will last a few hours. What you need to be focusing on right now is a person that can contain a marriage, which is much bigger than a party. That a party will last a few hours, but this marriage is designed to last a lifetime. So you need to consecrate yourself today for the amazing things that God is wanting to do in and through you. Now, here's the thing. Look, I'm a guy who when you invite me to do something today, I'm like not that interested. I love living in the future. I love thinking about the future. In fact, as I was putting up Christmas lights this year, I caught myself thinking about what are we gonna do next year, right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, we, we, we did this whole, like, all the street got all decorated for Pomona, and it was awesome this year. And as I'm putting up ornaments and inflatables and light up Christmas trees, I'm thinking to myself, what can we do next year that's gonna beat this? I wasn't even enjoying the moment. I'm thinking, what's next, right? December 26th at 9 a.m., everything from Christmas is down in my house, and we are on to the next thing, right? 
I usually write my talks usually in about an hour, hour and a half maybe, because I've been thinking about what I'm going to say for two or three weeks. So by the time it gets to put it on paper, I'm actually quite bored and upset about the fact that I have to get it on paper because I've lived it for the last two and a half weeks. I love thinking about what's next and what's coming and how can we create this. But here's the thing. There is this intimate relationship between the present and the future. that They are connected to one another. That they, they are tied to one another in the middle of how we live out our life. Every decision that we make today ripples out and creates the future. Every action that we take right now opens up or closes down possibilities for the future. See, I can't just say, I'm going to wait for the future where I have six-pack abs. (laughs) Right? I'm not sitting around waiting for that future. Well, I am. But, But most of us, when we relate to the future, that's how we relate to it. Like, maybe this will happen. Maybe this will come our way. But see, if we are interested in having a future where God can actually do amazing things, it requires us to consider what we are up to today and how we are living today. So if I want to live a life of peace tomorrow where God blesses me with amazing peace, then today I get to control my anger If I'm interested in living in a space where I have financial peace tomorrow, then I get to budget today. See, we literally live in a multiverse where every single decision you make opens up an endless number of futures and closes down an endless number of futures. So consecrating ourselves today, right now, is necessary if we want to see God do amazing things tomorrow. If you're interested In waking up tomorrow and saying, look at all the amazing things that God has done. It requires us today to sacrifice all of the temporary pleasures and desires and behaviors and attitudes that will be insufficient to contain the amazing thing that God has for for tomorrow. And to be considering what are the eternal gains that I am longing for. But this actually requires us to be thinking about the future, this interesting present-future relationship, present-future, present-future. And this is the tension that we live in. Here's what I found for most of us, is that like 80% of our thoughts are actually in the past. That most of us live in the past. Look, even, even for those of you who are like, no, I don't actually live in the past, I'm constantly worrying about the future. <laughs> I'm constantly, like, anxious about what's coming. I'm constantly, like, thinking about all that thing I have to do tomorrow, all the frustrations, all the anxiety, like, all the the upset about what's coming. See, the thing that's informing you that you need to be anxious about the future, the thing that is informing you that you need to be anxious about what's coming or afraid or worrying is all the things in the past that didn't go right. And so here you are in the present looking at your future but what you're actually doing is combing through your past going well this might happen because of that and this might repeat itself if I step into this relationship or if I give myself here or if I try again and so most of our energy is stuck in the past while we're in the future in the present looking into the future now here's the thing we're rarely present and when we are present what are we present with Usually a device in our hands or a television in front of us. Usually that is what we are present with. And it has been interesting as we as a community have been engaging in these spiritual disciplines on a monthly basis that those who have practiced silence and solitude have found that to be one of the most difficult practices. 
Now, you would think it would be the most easy of all of them, right? You're not fasting, right? You're not praying or reading. You're literally sitting in silence, right? And I don't know about you, but when I've tried that on, I'm like, this is hard. This, this is tough. I actually can't imagine anything more tough than just sitting here present with me and God. Because my mind goes everywhere like crazy little monkeys. Because <laughs> it's such a struggle to be present. And that just leaves a fraction of our energy left to consider how tomorrow is going to turn out based on how I am today. But see, in order to see God move tomorrow, I must be present with how I'm engaging with him and one another today. Pausing and consecrating yourself today for the sake of the amazing thing that God is going to do tomorrow is one of the most countercultural things that you could ever do. And the odds are stacked against you. But everything is in your favor if you're willing to count the cost. See, because oftentimes when we do pause, when we are present, we wake up to the reality of how we are investing the few breathtaking moments that we have on this planet. We wake up to how we are investing and we recognize that for most of us, our time, our energy, our resources go into building a house of cards. Things that won't last a week, let alone a month or a decade or a lifetime. And that's pretty despairing, recognizing the future that we are creating. In fact, Soren Kierkegaard says that that type of despair is so despairing that it cannot even stand itself. And so it has to be distracted. I wonder how many of us live in distraction on our phones, on our television, with all the little hobbies and niceties and pleasures that we have among us to distract us from the despair that looms underneath when we're unwilling to consecrate ourselves today for the future that is coming. 1 Corinthians 3.10 says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each of us should build with care. For no one lays a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, that fire that will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as escaping through the flames. I don't know about you, but at the end of my days, I want to say that I built something that lasted. And I am convinced that that can only happen when the foundation that we are building on is Jesus. That when we, as individuals first, say, I choose to build, and I choose to build on a foundation of Jesus, that's when everything starts to move. See, here's the beautiful thing, is you don't even have to lay the foundation. If you've ever done a construction project, the foundation is usually one of the hardest projects. That's already done for you. Jesus says he has already laid the foundation for you. You just get to build on it. 
You get to take what Jesus has already done for you in the work on the cross, his death and his resurrection coming back to life and say, what do I want to build on this? What is God calling me to create that will last a lifetime? See, I don't want to get to the end of my days and said, man, I had a good time, but I have nothing to show for it. Man, I had some really good kicks, but I was disconnected from the creator of my soul and from the people around me. And at the end of the day, everything is lost. See, people get to the end of their years and they realize that they have invested in wood and hay and straw. And the moment they're gone, it's gone. And there is nothing eternal left. All the little worries, all the distractions, all the delights, they were pointless. Never connected to the God who longs to create something eternal in and through them. Now look, I am not saying what I am calling us into is a life void of pleasure. If you know me, I like a good time. I love a good time. In fact, I long for 2024 to be a year filled with beauty. I want us to have moments that are so pleasurable and so delightful and so overwhelmingly powerful that it knocks our socks off at times. But here's the thing. I want those to be made meaningful as a result of being connected to the God of the universe, that they are the fruit of building on a foundation that lasts. They don't become the distraction from our unwillingness to build. And that's oftentimes what happens. Otherwise, they just keep us entertained from stepping into the future that we were called to build. Now here's the thing, I wanna build something that lasts, but I wanna build it together. So many people wanna build something that lasts for themselves and by themselves, because look, it's just easier, right? It's, it's harder when you get another person involved. Group projects are usually not people's favorite thing, right? <laughs> But I want to build something that lasts, but I want to build something that lasts together with people. See, I am convinced that, that Jesus is the only foundation for building a life that will last. But I am convinced that the church is the agent that God is using to redeem the world around us. That the local church is God's change agent in the world. And apart from that, there is no other plan. See, when God looked out and he was like, how, how are we going to redeem humanity? How are we going to bring humanity into this life-altering relationship with me and let them know that they are loved and that the cross has wiped everything away so that they can come fully alive and live the life that they were meant to live? He said, you know what? Let me come down once a year in a beam of light and do a TED Talk. No. He didn't say, let me create spiritual centers in every city where people can come to. He didn't say, let me build a temple where you can come meet with me. You know what he said? I'm going to fill people. And those people are going to band together in community. And they are going to be one as I and the Father are one. And in that process, every single person on the planet will know how much they are loved and the redemption that is available to them through Jesus. That he invites us into this divine rescue mission for humanity that ripples into eternity. And I don't know about you, but if at the end of my days it can be said that I partnered with the movement of Jesus in redeeming the humans around me, that'll be enough. That will be enough to say, well done. Not just from him, but to myself in the middle of this. Now look, I know it's super trendy to be cynical about the church. It's so on point. It's so cool to do your own thing and to stay home and to live your life as you please, when you want, doing what you wish. 
But this is one of the ways that we conform to the culture, is that the heaven that God is longing to bring to earth pulls us together. And the kingdom of this earth longs to pull us apart, separate us, isolate us, and tell us the lie, I can do this on my own. See, I know when someone has made this shift, when someone talks about our community saying, this is my church. Not no problem. Some people come up to me and they say, oh, I love your church. And in my head I go, oh, they haven't made the jump yet. They haven't gone through the matrix yet. But when someone comes up and says, oh, I love my church. I love that this is a place where I get to invest my life together. I'm like, ah, oh, they made it. They're going to build something really cool. They're going to give something really beautiful. And look, here's what I believe is that this year is our moment. I am so convinced of this, you couldn't convince me otherwise. I am convinced that this is the year. People come to our community all the time, and they say, look, you're small and mighty, and there's something really unique happening here. We've had people all the time come in and say, get ready, because there is something really profound about to happen as a result of building a foundation here. And I am convinced of it. I am convinced that that has happened. And here's the thing. I believe that we are in a critical moment for our community, but I also believe that we are in a critical moment for the church at large. 85% of churches in our nation are in decline or plateaued, which means only 15% of churches are actually thriving. Only 15% of churches are actually experiencing a move of God within them that is powerful. Now, here's what I believe to be true, just based on numbers and my own analysis, that the pandemic sped up what would have probably taken 10 years. And so we just got sped up what was going to probably take longer in the middle of this. And so here's what I know to be true, is this trend will not be reversed with bigger programs. It will not be, it will not be reversed with greater social media, and it will not be reversed with greater programs or buildings or events. It will be reversed by a collective group of individuals humbling themselves and saying, the Spirit of God lives in me, and I was designed to band together to be the body of Christ everywhere I go. And that collectively together, the mission that will last eternity is to redeem the world around me through the power of Christ that lives in me. That's the only thing. And it will be us fighting for the heart of God. It will be us fighting for the heart of the church. It will be us fighting for our kids and our community and one another and our neighborhoods and our government and the future around us. It will cause us to fight for that. And look, God has been working on me first for the past several months. The last three years of pastoring in our climate have been exhausting. And they have left me at times resentful and angry and tired and wanting to throw in the towel. And God has said, look, I get it. Have you ever, have you ever looked back on your life and you compared yourself to the good old days? You know, if you, look at our, if you look at our metrics as a church, 2019, we were through the roof. It was like, man, nothing can stop us now. And then this thing happened in 2020. And it's been a wrestle ever since moving through that. And about three months ago, God said, I need you to get out of your cynicism and start believing for something bigger 
and this word that I, I resisted, because if you know me, I resist any type of religious language or language that has been abused by the church or language that has been overused in religious circles. And God says, you need to prepare for revival. And that scared me. Because when God uses that language, I'm like, that's not me. Because in my head, I'm like, how can we market this? Could we, like, awaken or something? You know, I'm, I'm like, no, we're just going to go revival. <laughs> that God would bring back to life the parts within us that have been dead. That God would bring back to life the parts within us that have been dormant or that we have been distracted or that we have been unwilling to sacrifice, to step into a bigger place. And we cannot do church as normal. It just won't work anymore. And maybe we can for a few years, but I don't know about you, but I don't want to do business as usual. I don't want to give my life to something that at the end of the day will go, that was fun, and leaves us empty-handed. So here's what I'm calling us into in 2024. I'm going to first give you the metrics for our year. I'm going to ask that we would be collectively as a community praying for and believing for 100 plus adults participating in our gathering every single week. Now we hit that metric today, but I, we may not hit that metric tomorrow. But here's the thing. Notice that I said participating. See, because there is a difference between people thinking of Sunday morning as a option among options or a nice thing that we could go to every once in a while. But I'm talking about participating in what we are up to. That you would see yourself as an active participant in what we're up to. That we would see 10 thriving humanity groups by the end of 2024. Now we have seven now. We're about to start another one. But this means that some of you who are in groups right now, and it's really comfortable because you show up and someone makes your coffee for you and someone does the lesson for you. Guess what? You will be leading by the end of this year. That you will be leading a group by the end of this year, which is so exciting. We long to see 10 people baptized by the end of the year. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but that is one a month plus some extras in there. We long to see full redeeming humanities because we believe that as people pursue passionately discipleship in their lives, becoming more like Jesus, that things will start to shift all around them. We long to see 80% of our community tithing in 2024. And then finally, we long to see the next generation of leadership step up and start fulfill their roles as the church. So for those of you in the room that are under 40, I'm talking to you. I turn 41 tomorrow, so I'm out of the equation. So <laughs> for those of you who are under 40, let me just tell you this. Like ears tuned in, you are the VIPs in our community this year. Now, for those of you who are over 40, listen to my voice. You are the MVPs. Because we need you to pour into the next generation. Usually people, when people hit 50, they make one of two decisions. Not consciously, but unconsciously. They make this decision. My life either gets to be now lived out for my purposes because I've arrived, or now my life gets to be poured out into the next generation with all the wisdom that has been given to me. If you are over 40 in this room, I need you to start pouring your life out into the next generation. You have wisdom and you have experience and you have power that you do not know about that will only get unlocked when you start pouring into the next generation of leaders. Now, this next part's important because that's the what. 
right? That's what we are praying for, believing for in 2024. But the how is actually the most important part here. Because I don't know about you. Here, if you're anything like me, I'm a fixer. Any fixers in the room? Any strategists in the room? Like, when we started talking about this as a staff, my mind was already like, okay, we're going to create a campaign in February, and then we're going to do this in March, and then we're going to do this in February. Oh, this is going to be easy. We got this. And you know what? God slowed me down, and he said, what I'm not interested in is more activity. He said, we'll get there. Don't worry. But he said, I'm not interested in more activity. See, this should be about us coming together and first fighting for the heart of God within us. That we would spend some time fighting for the heart of God in us and in our community. That that would lay a foundation of Jesus that we get to move forward to. See, we cannot expect amazing, amazing things tomorrow if we do not count the cost today. We cannot expect God to do something tomorrow if we do not consecrate ourselves today. See, for decades, the church has assumed that by lowering the standard and making Jesus easy to follow, that it might actually produce more followers. But what it's actually done, it has sucked all of the power out of the movement of Jesus in not requiring us to consecrate ourselves today. And we are left wondering, where are the amazing things that God is doing tomorrow? Because we have stopped consecrating ourselves today. And Jesus calls us into this radical minimum standard as a church, as individuals. See, here is his radical, radical minimum standard. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, I want to kill the small, insignificant, small version of life that your brokenness calls you into. That small version of you that wants to minimize what's possible and to lean towards comfort and safety and how do I preserve what I have? He's like, look, I would like to overrun that by this greater call into a life that I have bought for you. And in the sacrifice of that small life, in the release of that small insignificant version that you made up, he says, I will bring you to life. I will call you into a new level of life. See, God is not playing hard to get. He died and came back to life so that you could actually live this life. So here's the plan. For the next 60 days, I am calling us as a community into a season of revival. 60 days. Most churches do 21. I was like, let's one up that 60, right? <laughs> 60 days of revival together. And this is the, this is the revival that's going to happen in the next 60 days is we are going to focus on aligning our hearts to the heart of God. Because I believe that when we are in alignment with him, we become unstoppable. Everything else falls into place. Everything else moves towards where it needs to be. When we fight to the, for the heart of the Father and we fight for the heart of this house, everything transforms. And youth in the back, everyone look at our youth back there. I need you with me. I need you with us in this process. So here is the five commitments that I'm calling us to for the next 60 days. And I'm telling you, this is the radical minimum standard for us as a community. Now, as I read off these five commitments, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to notice the one that bugs you the most. 
I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna ask you just to notice the one that when I say, hey, would you commit yourself to this? And when I invite you to commit your life to this for the next day, I want you to find the one that you go, mm, I don't know about that. Because here's the powerful thing about discipline. When God calls us into a life of discipline, it fleshes up our attitudes. Any discipline. Have you noticed that? That the second you get disciplined, it fleshes up all the attitudes. Entitlement, greed, despair, hope. It just fleshes it all. Just, just notice which one you're immediately like, eh. All right, so here's the thing. Next 60 days, I'm going to ask you to pray every single day for the life of our community and for a move of God in your life and in the life of our community that we would spend some time every single day in prayer for the life of our community. And here's a few things that we are going to support you with this. Starting tomorrow in the morning, we are going to be releasing every single day prayer and meditation guides on YouTube, on our social media, and they will be blasted out to you on our church center messaging. So every single day, you are going to get a five to six minute meditation prayer prompt that uses the scriptures that you can use Monday through Friday to engage you in a time of prayer. Starting on Wednesday night, every other Wednesday night, we're going to be having prayer nights over in our loft. So Wednesday, this Wednesday at 7 p.m., we are going to get together and pray heaven down. So if you want to join us, join us over there. And they're going to be every other Wednesday. You can scan the back of that QR code and click on events. And they are on there. And you can see all the information for them. Here's the other thing. Is we want your kids, if you have kids or nephews or nieces in this room, we want them to be praying with you as a family. And so when they leave today, they are going to get a whole calendar with gold stars that they can put on a calendar for every single day that they prayed, along with a prayer guide for Monday through Friday so that you as a family can pray together for the church that they're also a part of, that they're also leading, that they're also engaged in over there. So we together are going to be in prayer. I believe that this is going to be fought in prayer. That as we together say, I will get on my knees and I will ask the Father to show me what he longs for, things will transform in this. First thing, prayer. Second thing, I'm going to ask you to enter into some type of a fast for the next 60 days. Now, a couple of things about this. I don't recommend fasting all food for the next 60 days. <laughs> Now, two things that I want to say about this. One is, traditionally, when we've said, put a fast out for the community, it's like fast something. Now, the only context in the scriptures for fasting is food. So it, it's about what do I put in my mouth that I'm going to not put in my mouth for a little while. And that when I feel the hunger, it would remind me how reliant I am on God. See, here's what oftentimes, I know in like our modern fast, we're like, I'm going to fast watching The Bachelor on Saturday nights. I'm going to fast chocolate on Thursdays, right? So I'm going to ask you to pick a food fast. And that can look whatever you want. For me, it's going to be at least two days a week from sunup to sundown. For some of you, that could be like, hey, I'm going to give up breakfast or I'm going to give up lunch. Maybe it's one meal a week but that you would engage in some fast and during that food fast that you would pray for the life of our community. That God says when, when we long for a move, to fast. And that's what we're gonna do for the next 60 days together. That together we're gonna collectively fast in the middle of this. All right, next thing is I'm gonna ask you to show up and participate in Sunday morning gatherings. Now again, notice I said participate, not just show up. That when you come to this space, that you would see this like a gymnasium. 
Now, what would happen if you went to the gym and you just walked in and you're like, oh, so good to be here. Hmm, the machines look really good. The vending machine is stocked. Good work, right? <laughs> but so many times that happens when we come to church. We're like, let me show up. And oh, the band was all right today. And Nathan's talk was cool. And the coffee was good. I'm out, right? But I'm going to ask you to show up as if you were participating. See, showing up is actually not the, that's like the minimum standard. The radical minimum standard is showing up to participate in this. That we together would create an atmosphere here. That when people show up, that God would move in this place. That we would show up to give, and in the act of giving, that we would receive everything that God has for us. And so this, for some of you, this will actually be what's required, the sacrifice. I know for some of you online, you can't make it because you're far away. Some of you, you can't make it because you're ill, and that is amazing. We have a whole online thriving community for you. But I want to speak specifically to the people who are online, and you're like, it's just more comfortable to watch from my pajamas. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to show up and to make this a priority. Look, growing up in our house, you know what my parents told me? You can stay out as late as you need to on Sunday morning, but you will be in church on Sunday morning. And, and so... It didn't matter if I was out till 2 a.m. on Sunday morning or 3 a.m. It was like, no, I'm here. And you know what? It's produced a life of, hey, I have to actually think about what it's going to take to show up to participate in the life of our community. Now, a fourth thing is I'm going to ask that you would participate for the next 60 days in a humanity group. That you would show up to a humanity group. There is a reason why we call this a gathering and not a service. Because a service is a place where you get serviced. You are not here to get serviced. You are here to serve. And our humanity groups are our churches. This is where God moves. This is where he speaks. This is where we share our lives with one another. See, here's the thing about this. This is a space where we come together and we celebrate all that God has done throughout the week. But you staring at the back of someone's head will not transform your life. I promise you. That happens when you're sitting face to face saying, hey, let's open up the scriptures together. Let's connect with what's happening in my life. Let me share with you what God's doing in me and let me hear about what God has to say to me from you. That we would do life together in the middle of this. So if you don't have a regular community to confess, to pour out to, to be in, be here. Now, there are two sacrifices. I know for some of you, this is the one, right? There are two types of sacrifices usually needed to make to have this commitment happen. One, for some of you, it's going to be a time commitment. And it's like, man, that's, that's going to be a crunch. We have a Zoom humanity group on Monday nights. So wherever you're at, pull out your phone and hop on with the group, right? So may that, like, find a space, find a way to sacrifice to be there. Now, here's the thing. For some of you, you're going to have to sacrifice your ego and your preference. I know for some of you, it is horrifying to be at a space where people know you and you know other people. I know for some of you, it's easier just to show up for two hours and leave. But this is what's going to be required to move forward as a people. Not because we're wanting to do more activity, because this is where God shows up in the life of his church, where everyone together is experiencing the spirit of God moving in and through them. And then my final call for us as a community for the next 60 days is that all of us would make a commitment to give a percentage of our income to the movement here at Humanity Church. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, generosity is a part of that calling. 
It is a calling to be generous with our resources, specifically to the local church. That's what God calls us to do. Because we have been given so generously too. That God has poured out into us, and so then we as individuals get to pour back into what God has done in around us. Now, look, there is a massive world of difference between showing up to church as a consumer and showing up as a producer. And Jesus says, look at how you relate to your money, and that will tell you about your heart. So if you want to know, am I producing or consuming, you can just look at how you're being generous with your resources. This is like a, a beautiful physical universe element that we can look at and go, am I being generous with the things that are in front of me? I used to have such a hard time talking about this because I used to think, ah, I don't want to be one of those pastors where everyone thinks that all he wants is money. I don't want to be one of those pastors who is on television saying, send me your $29.99 and I'll send you my sweat cloth and you'll be healed. I don't want to do any of that, right? <laughs> not interested. I am not interested. But now, here, let me just tell you something. Now when I get to talk about this, I get so excited I get so excited because over the last few years, I feel like Marla and I have feel like we have unlocked a secret in our own faith and our own spirituality that has blown our minds as to what God has done in us as a result of our generosity. See, here's the thing that transformed for me. I used to not give as a pastor. And here was my reasoning for it. I thought to myself, I already give so much of my time. I give so much of my service. I'm here every day, and I work, and I give of a talk, and I go above and beyond. Look how much I serve. I should not have to give, right? So that's a bit like saying, I cleaned the kitchen. You also want me to buy groceries, right? You would never do that in your house, right? But that's oftentimes how we relate to what God's doing here. Now, there's two massive differences that, may, that were made in the life of Marla and I. One, we went through Financial Peace University and we got our finances together. And yeah, it's awesome. And we religiously live by a budget that allows us to tell our money where to go. But also, we started tithing. We took 10% of our income, and we started giving it to the movement of the church. Now, early on, we we're like, I don't know how this is going to happen, but we're going to do it, and we're going to try this out. And everything shifted for us. And I wish I could tell you, we made 10 times more money. We didn't. That's right. But you know what happened? Something started shifting in us, that we became producers. Yep, right. That everywhere we looked, I recognized, oh, I have control of how I give myself and the future that I create. And everywhere I go, I get to be the one that gives back powerfully. Money was not something that I served. It was something that served me. And that it was something that I was given to steward the world around me. And here's the crazy thing. There is one thing in the Bible that God says, test me on this and see if I don't, I'm not faithful. And the one thing is tithing. Now, I, don't, I do not recommend you testing God on a lot of things. But do it on the one that he said to test him on. And see what happens as a result of that. Now, as I call you into this, I actually talked to our elders and I was like, hey, I feel like I want to share this with the community. Do you think it's appropriate? And they said, I think it's appropriate. Because I don't ever share with you Marla and I's personal giving. I mean, I, tell, I share with you that we give now. But I want to share with you our giving journey this year. Because this is the first year that Marla and I were able to start giving above and beyond our 10% here at Humanity Church and to other organizations and let me tell you, it has transformed more than I could ever tell you. And I love that Marla and I know that there are places where the kingdom of heaven is being brought down to this earth as a result of money. 
that we were gifted to give away in the result of that. Now, if you don't know, Marla and I work multiple jobs to provide for our family. And this year, uh, at the end of the year, I, I got a large contract and it was going to pay for some things that we had coming up and some things going on. And I talked to Marla and I said, I just feel like God is calling us to give considerably this year. Now, normally at the end of the year, Marla and I give about $1,000 to our global projects. We find spaces for that. This year, God said, I want you to give something significant. And so we looked at how much we had made in the last like quarter of the year, and it was about $6,000. And God said, I want you to give all of it. And I said, okay. <laughs> this is like both of our vacations next year. This is a new car that we need. This is a, several other things. And, and I talked to Marla, and she's like, yeah, let's do it. And I, I told the story before, but this is when we sat down with our boys, and I said, hey, we're not going to be doing the trips that we had talked about. Like we're going to be, there are some things that we've already paid for, but there's some other things that we're not going to be doing this year. We're going to be sacrificing those. But this is what we're going to give to the church this year. And I said, I want your permission. And that's when Jackson looked at me and said, Dad, we're going to give up something like money. We're going to get love back. And that's when I was like, take it all. We got 10, where's another three grand? Let's do that, you know. Now, I don't tell you, I've never, ever, in my 20 years of ministry, ever told anyone how much money I give. I only say this because I'm calling us into a space of radical generosity this year, and I want you to know that I will never call you into a commitment that Marla and I will not go first, and that we will not go hard and fast, and that we will not place our faith first and see if God will do something amazing tomorrow as we consecrate ourselves today. So I will never call you to sacrifice here more than Marla and I are sacrificing in, their own, in our own lives. Now, I'll be honest with you. This last year at Humanity Church, we took a small financial hit. Now, I know part of that's the economy. I know that part of that's because people have just been less generous with their resources. There's all kinds of things in that. And I get it. I get that it's been a rough year for some of us as the economy has gone crazy in the middle of that and... I'm pretty, I am actually very shielded from who gives what at Humanity Church. I don't get to see names and things like that. Even the end of the year statements that you get, they're from me, but it's a computer that sends them out, so I don't get to see them. Part of this has been the economy. Part of this has been less generous. And I asked some of our, our, our uh, financial team to run some numbers, and you know what we found out is that 17% of our community gives, 80, gives 73% of our income. That's 16% of our community gives 73% of, of the income. Now, that was a little discouraging at first to me. I said, oh, got it. We have some ways to go. But then I thought, you know what? God's been doing some pretty incredible things. What would happen if the other 77% decided that they were going to wake up to the generosity call on their lives? Imagine what would happen. That's such a beautiful thing. And so I'm going to call you into a new space with this. Now, in closing here, I want to introduce to you something called Next Step Giving. I want to put that slide up on the screen. See, I'm going to ask you not to just like, hey, i got to make this giant leap. I'm going to ask you to just decide where's your next step in your giving. See, for some of you, you give nothing. And no judgment. I don't know who you are. You may give nothing. Your next step 
is to give a particular percentage of your income regularly over the next 60 days. Even if that for you is like, we're giving 0.2% because that's what we can do right now. Awesome. Give something. Now, for those of you who are like listening to this and going, man, this money conversation is like a trigger because it is a mess and I don't know what I'm doing and it is crazy. We have Financial Peace University starting January 21st. (laughs) And so if you today are like, hey, my finances are a mess and this feels impossible, we are committed to you getting freedom. So scan that QR code on the back of your chair and click on events and register today. It will transform your ability to be generous, right? So, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to, if you need to speak with your person, come up with a percentage. Even if it's like, hey, we're going to give 1%. That's where we're going to start. Start somewhere. Now, if you're giving a percentage regularly, I'm going to ask you to, to jump, like what it would look like to jump to 10%. That may be a huge leap for some of you. So for some of you, that's like, uh, we got to give up some things, but we can make that happen. But it's a hard issue. And then finally, if you're giving 10%, I'm going to ask you to notice where you can give above and beyond. And here's the cool thing. It doesn't even have to be here. It can be here. But you might be like, man, now that we're giving 10%, where else could we go create? And this is the fun thing with Marla and I is that as we've stepped into higher levels of giving, we're like, man, where else can we go create the kingdom? And it is so exciting in the middle of this. So I'm going to ask you to notice where your next step is in your giving and that On January 21st, that Sunday that we start FPU, in our gathering, we're going to have a commitment Sunday where we're not going to put, like, a lot of information, but I'm going to ask you to make a commitment as to what your giving looks like over the next year. And again, I won't see it, and probably most people won't see it. It's just for you to say, hey, here's what I'm committing to. Now, I know for most of you, this is the one where you go, right? (laughs) And this is where we get to step up as a community. I'm going to have the ushers pass out some papers right now that put these commitments that we're going to make out to you so that you can have them available to see on a regular basis. But as they're passing this out, I want you to listen to this final passage in Matthew. And it says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. I want to do something as your pastor in closing. And I want to apologize to you. I felt this strong conviction as God was calling me into this revival season. And I need to ask your forgiveness. And what I need to ask your forgiveness for is calling you into a Christianity, into a faith that doesn't actually cost you something. For some of you, it's going to cost you your preferences and your attitude and your ego. For some of you, it's going to cost you your time. For some of you, it's going to cost finances, and that feels like a big thing. But forgive me for inviting you into a version of faith that is smaller than the life that God has called you into, that is smaller than the life that he died for. See, because when you enter into a faith that does not cost you anything, It is void of power. 
It is void of the miraculous. It is void of the agency to actually create the future that you were designed to create. And I am not interested in leading a movement where Jesus is like an add-on accessory to all of the other things in our life. Where we decide that we have brunches and baseball practice and work and car payments and weekend trips and oh, let's throw in Jesus if it fits the schedule. Or oh, let's throw in Jesus if it fits the budget. Or let's throw in Jesus if it fits what we're up to. That he is the first thought on our mind. That he is who we are fighting for. That he is where every ounce of our energy goes towards. That he is the one that has laid the foundation for us. And it is on him that we are building our life. That he guides every step that we make. At the end of our lives, that you and I together would say that we fought for the heart of the Father. And we fought for the heart of the church. And we fought for the heart of the people. And that when all is said and done, that it would not be washed away, but there would be an eternal kingdom built because of who he is in us. And at the end of our lives, we would say, I tasted and I saw that he is good because of how I gave of myself and how I fought for the church, I fought for one another. And that the brief moments that we have on this earth, that they would ripple into eternity, transforming everything. Because nothing else matters and this, and that everything would be transformed in the process. I'm inviting you into something that most pastors don't do. I'm inviting you into something that most spiritual leaders don't do. And that is to discipline yourself for 60 days, to consecrate ourselves, because I am convinced that tomorrow God will do amazing things among us. It like lives in me but it's gonna require us to consecrate ourselves today. And I am not demanding, I am not pleading, I'm inviting you. I am unapologetic about the bigger life that is available as a result of us consecrating ourselves today. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I know that this moment for me feels like sacred ground. It feels like holiness that wants to be unraveled in our hearts and our minds. And I ask today that as we begin a movement of 60 days of fighting for the heart of you in the ways that you have fought for our hearts and fighting for the heart of this movement known as Humanity Church, that we would see amazing things happen in this process of consecrating ourselves today. God, I pray that, that you would transform attitudes in us, the places that are resistant, God, maybe the, the places that feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm up for this, I don't know if I'm ready for this, I don't know if I want that type of discipline, God. Would you reveal to us the beautiful, amazing future that you are calling us into, God? God, that, that everything else would fall to the wayside, that we would recognize that what we are building with will it last the test of eternity or at the end of our lives will it wash away and say that was a good time. But we lost everything in the process. So today, God, call us into the bigger life that you sacrificed your son for. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who has come for us. 
And so over the next 60 days, as we seek you, we know we will find you. And God, allow us to see amazing things happen as a result of you being with us. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.